Has anyone got a, a question for Andrew about preaching in way, engaging with people's worldviews? Uh, thanks so much, Stuart, from Warren Park. Um, Andrew, I really like what you said about worldview preaching. It's really helpful. Um, I'm just listening and thinking, is there a danger that I might speculatively reconstruct the worldview of the author and thus move away from the text? So as you're saying that I need to move towards the biblical world, that my, my reconstruction might be speculative and ungrounded. And so as I move to that deeper, if I'm not really careful, which I know that you will be, if I'm not really careful, might I just create a world that I think Paul was inhabiting and then use that to then kind of feed back into the text? And I'm thinking particularly of the 1 Timothy 2, where I worked through that this year and found a whole bunch of people who thought Paul was thinking a completely different thing than I think the text says, and that actually drove their exegesis to say something other. So if, can you think of, I guess, can you say a little bit about what controls we might have T- for reconstructing the worldview that we're moving towards? Yeah, totally with you. It's... Um, uh, the first thing I'd say is what I'm actually talking about with worldview and the two horizons thing is we do it anyway. The, 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 the simple point is it's not as if you can preach the Bible without doing it. Because I come, uh, Andrew Heard, 21st century, raised on the northern beaches, I come not standing where the Bible stands. That's my starting point, which means... I've got to work super hard to to um, make sure that I see the presuppositions. Exactly. So as Stuart says, um, the danger. It's easy to get the presuppositions wrong because I'm not standing where he's standing. So my whole aim is to work hard, year by year, of uh, detail the text, biblical theology, systematic theology, back into the text, back and forward, back and forward, so that I slowly move to where he stands so that I see one to me two for what it is. Um, so if you, if you are thinking that you can just, oh, I'll just do the detail of the text, then you are in the greatest danger because you're unaware that you're bringing a whole bunch of presuppositions which will shape the way you'll hear it. Now, we've just had a dispute um, in, well, in recent times uh, over predestination. And um, it's been extraordinary to me how... Well, let's look at Romans 9. And... Um, it's been extraordinary to see, see how someone brings a whole set of assumptions so that they don't see what the text is simply saying. Now, Andrew Hurd is doing that. I'm doing that. That's why we need good theological education over extended periods of time with considerable focus and care. You, you just can't get around. And you've got to spend the rest of your life working below the surface of the text, not just skating across to finish your you know, 30, 40-minute sermon as quick as you can. Yeah, it's a great danger. We need to do it in fellowship together. That's why community is important because community helps me. Um, I'm listening to people who are in slightly different places and it helps me to see where I'm at to keep aligning back further. So, yeah, it's just part of the world I'm in. Oh, and sorry, just to add to that, Christian culture. D- d- don't underestimate the reality that we are Christianised with a Christian culture that reads the scriptures through our Christian eyes. Wow, we are in a... It's a challenge, yeah. Yeah, um, 75% of Australia, I'm guessing, are blue-collar. How do you do world preaching to blue-collar people? Any tips? Well, it's exactly the same in that the blue-collar worker comes with their set of, set of presuppositions, it's, it's then as a communicator working out how to use language that connects with them. 
at this level, which is it's just part of wrestling with being a speaker, a communicator, a connector. So the, I think my, my point is it's not that you... It's not like the blue-collar worker can't engage with presuppositions. It's just the words I use to, to do it might need to be translated, that's all. Yeah. Andrew, I've heard from the front a couple of times tonight um, and through today the mention of a 25-minute, 30-minute sermon as the, this is the expectation that we should, you know... But what you're talking about is going to take longer than 25 minutes, isn't it, to unpack someone, to, to engage a worldview properly? And you got comments on that? And Yeah, I preached 70 minutes on Sunday night. And um, I, I really don't know how it happened, to be honest. <laughs> At the end, there's a clock down the front. And uh, at the end of preaching, I said, oh, that's been awesome. Looked down and went, and I said, I don't know how I got there. And so, but um, I, I don't... Yeah, tw- how long do you preach? Look, you've, got to, you've probably heard this a million times, but some people are 20-minute preachers, some are 25-minute preachers. You've got to work out um, who you are, your range, your audience. Uh, I, I, um, for better or worse, I, I would preach 45, and in our evening services I would preach 55, 50 to 55. Now, that's, um, there are various reasons for that. Um, and sometimes I can get away with it, sometimes I can't. And as you get older, you need to work harder to keep shorter because I think you fall in love with your own voice and think everyone else is in love with it as well. And so you've got to keep pulling yourself back. Um, all of those are part of the mix. But you're right, I, I, don't, I think it is very hard in 25 minutes. And so you've got, to, you've got to factor in the fact of the pulpit moment in church on Sunday is really one input over 12 months, over two years... And so don't feel like you've got to make every post a winner. You're building, you're building, you're building week on week in uh, as, you, as you're preaching. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, 18 to 25-year-olds, many, it's not a, we're not near, near a university. Um, and it's interesting for mine that um, they all come with their Bibles. It's a big fringe. So, so exactly as that. We, we have a lot of people who aren't believers. Um, a big fringe. Uh, but we, we've, got this, we've got this fringe through to a hard core. And the culture, is that, the, the culture is established now that people listen well. So when the fringe comes, they sit there going, you know, some of them kind of go, but they see everyone around them and they kind of go, and they kind of just, I better keep listening. And, and it is extraordinary that 18 to 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds, this whole talk about attention span, I think they're going to two-and-a-half-hour movies. Do you know, it's, attention span is very much connected to content, quality, all of that. It's not simply attention span. But that's 18 years of ministry developing a culture. Early on we had to work, you know, there's a whole bunch of things we had to do to move towards that. Now I have to keep, as I say, I, I don't want to presume on that and I don't want to um, uh, abuse that. So I, I have to keep working to come back a little. Yeah. But you do create culture by the as Al was saying, you create culture by the way you preach and teach. Yeah. He'll come back to you, Toby. Hi. <laughs> So you talked about uh, reading uh, 
you know, the Bible, biblical theology, systematic theology. On the other side, in avoiding what Al talked about as the Sunday morning bubble and um, living in community with your people, um, what are some suggestions for actually understanding people's worldview and actually yeah, developing good. your view of that? Yeah, it's good. I, it, it, just talking preaching. I mean, the word ministry is not just the pulpit. You get that. But just talking preaching. There's, I think there's three things you've got to become expert at. Um, the message, um, the, the delivery of the message, and the receiver. Did you see? So, you know, I've got, I've got to become proficient in understanding the word. I've got to become proficient in how to communicate the word. And I've got to become proficient in whom I'm addressing with the word. You've just got this, it's a massive task. I think it's the hardest thing I do. Um, now, in terms of that end, uh, look, I, I, um, you read, you know, I read the Sydney Morning Herald, not for news, because I used to think it was about news, <laughs> but uh, that was just naive. Sydney Morning Herald's about propaganda, and so it's an opportunity for me to, um, uh, to see the way a part of the world is thinking. Uh, you know, I, I do the quick breeze through that. Um, I'm trying to read uh, analysis of things, but I'm particularly trying to be involved in people's lives. So I've always been involved in um, non-church sport, uh, very, fought very hard not to have a church sport team um, because I want to... Mo- and so I've always modelled being involved. So I play water polo twice a week with a, with a group of guys. I'm known as the Rev, been doing it for years, and it's kind of an opportunity for me to rub shoulders with... Um, men and some women who are who are just totally out of my world, and and I listen. You know, I, I ask questions. I'm inquisitive. I'm interested. I'm trying to, um, you know, just find out what makes people tick and what's going on in their way, and trying to get their presuppositions. So I'm constantly inquisitive with people. So it is a concern that um, uh, it, you've got to find ways to be involved with people who are outside your bubble, and don't think preaching is. The, the danger with commentaries is that you end up, you, you end, your preaching ends up a conversation with the commentators. No one cares. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Only someone writing another commentary will care. You've, you've got to make sure your conversations with real people who are not in the academic world, um, and that is a constant challenge for us who have been academically trained. Uh, but the answer is not, don't get academically trained. The answer is, get academically trained and go deeper. So you're back out there again, yeah. Andrew, when um, when having a morning service and an evening service, are you preaching the same sermon in the morning to the evening, or is it is the worldview of young families so different from the worldview of eighteen twenty five year olds that you have to write a fresh sermon for each? And how do you navigate um, that? Yeah, yeah, good question. It, I have a view about culture. Um, that's something, it's uh, structuralism in language tweaked me to this a little bit, in that um, one of the things about languages is they're very different, but they all share the common structures of syntax, syntax and so on. There's a, there's a, there, there is something about the human kind where whatever language you speak, they still have the same structures of the way the languages work. Now, in many ways, that's extraordinary, don't you think? It suggests we all came from... Do you know what I mean? It, we, we've all come from the same place. And uh, it's just we've given flesh to it in slightly different ways. Now, I think we can... O- this is the two-horizon danger. We can overplay the differences between cultures. We need to recognise there are 
surface differences. But at heart, all cultures are dealing with the same realities of sin and perversion and corruption of thought. And so the Bible is addressing every culture. It's not like you've got to change the Bible to make it fit to another culture. It's addressing the deep structural realities of our differences just with some different flesh. So there, there's something. And so when I, uh, when I flip, I, um, I do a little bit more work. I, I do some reworking. I application shift a little bit. Um, um, I, I, try and, I try and touch base with some younger guys who may have heard it to give me some insight. Where I find it more challenging from between the morning work I do and the night work I do is our Saturday work. And so, um, I mean, I don't know if we've got time to get Tim up, but Tim, Tim who's sitting over here, he focused leads in our Saturday work, which is seeking to reach what I'd like to think of as the Byron Bay culture on the Central Coast. So, you know, beachish culture, but it's got a lot of kind of responsible workers who travel to Sydney and so on, but you've also got this beach culture. Um, what I find interesting is now that I'm a responsible worker, uh, I just there's a shift in my language, my humour's slightly different, uh, the way I look, the tone, all of those things are slightly different, which means I don't get as ready a hearing into that subculture. I heard someone ask the question a little bit earlier. I think the... the, the Ministering across subcultures is sometimes harder than ministering across ethnic culture. And, um, and I think that is the case. And so uh, navigating that one is a little bit di more difficult for me. Um, I think it's also difficult too because Tim is a very super sensitive guy. And he's just, he, just, he just gets touchy about things. <laughs> Do you want to add anything, Tim? Perhaps a defence? Good to get your thoughts. No. <laughs> he's never short of a word when he's on his own with me. But anyway, there you go. Yeah. It is a challenge though, isn't it? You, you see it. And it is hard to get guys to cross cultures into that kind of world. Yeah. Andrew, I had a, an SMS question. Uh, what part does uh, reading slash watching popular culture play in understanding different worldviews? Like, have you got the IQ set up, watching a bunch of TV shows or, yeah, pop culture? Yeah. It, it, none of it's any good if you're not engaged and asking for the deeper thoughts behind things. So just watching pop culture will just waste your life. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Unless you're actually going, what is going on here? Why do they think like that? Why do they talk like that? But if you're doing that... Yeah, very helpful. It, my, my kids find it frustrating watching stuff with me because I will stop stuff and I'll have rants about things. Do you see, do you see the way they're thinking about life and what's going on here? And, you know, one of my daughters would just say, shut up, Dad, I just want to watch the show. Do you know, and I've heard that before. But, but you've got to... I keep finding myself constantly trying to wrestle at that level of what's going... What, what's given rise to this being acceptable, to this being thought of as appropriate? And, yeah. and once, you, once you're thinking like that, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. I've been wrestling with, uh, particularly in in my staff team, with a with a few guys about the the idea of preaching ver through a book of the Bible versus preaching to felt needs. Um, have you got any comments on that? Yeah, um, look, I um, preaching teaches people not just in your explicit teaching, 
but it teaches people in the program you run with it, the way you do it, all kinds of subtle signals of communicating and teaching things. Actually, compassion, the whole... Um, the, uh, the way you connect with compassion, the way you use compassion, the way if you do it as a church organisation related to compassion, you are teaching something. You are communicating something. And you've got to be aware of what you're communicating. If, you, if, you make, if your diet of preaching is felt need teaching, you are communicating something. What you're communicating is that God is coming to me to fix me with my problems. Whereas what the ultimate message of the gospel is repent and come back to me to where I am. See life the way I'm calling you to see life, not use me to fix up life where you have life. So you, you, Just the way you structure your pattern of preaching communicates something and you've got to take some care. Now, having said that, we, um, we, we have a practice of summer, January, for four weeks in January, um, we, we preach a, a more evangelistically toned um, series where we, we, what we've done is through August um, got our congregation to survey their friends about a particular topic and the one we're doing this year is uh, what would you do to fix the world along those lines. So they've all asked their friends, their friends have given answers, they've put the answers into church and church has worked out what are the top four answers the community is giving to those, that question and we'll preach on each of those ones. So in one sense that's a felt need thing. Um, but I don't want to make that the diet and dominant because it would communicate too big a thing. What we've found extraordinary is, I mean, if you've got your eyes open and you're alert to preach on, you'll be seeing it hit where people are at, but hitting people where they're at with the agenda being set by God in a more explicit way. So I would still push hard for not felt need preaching. Yeah, there's other, there are other problems with top, if you're talking topical preaching, of course, too. Once you go down the path of diets of topical preaching, it's a danger for me, the preacher. But you know the, you know the classic, don't you, that you know, his texts are a thousand, his sermons are. You, know, kind of, you, can, have, you can do book by book. Ex, we, we were in a church once where book by book exegesis, but there was only six sermons ever preached. You know, it was gospel to the nation. You know, you just, you could, oh, here's number four. You know, here's, you know, it's just, it was kind of... So you, Nothing stops that, but you've got to guard yourself where you can. Andrew, I think you had a couple of final words. Yeah, look, let me, thank you. Let me give you just a, a couple of final thoughts. Um, part of the thing for me for worldview thinking and worldview preaching is me, Andrew Hurd, and people around me coming to terms with the reality of the existence I live in. So evangelism for me is at heart bringing people to face what reality is. It's not felt need, it's actually reality preaching. And so what is the reality of the existence we have? There's one God who is known in the Lord Jesus Christ who is ruler of the universe before whom we will all stand one day. That's reality it's not just a thought I find helpful. And reality ministry means I'm compelled to preach the gospel because I want to bring people to see the reality they exist in, which is they were made by this one God, for this one God, and that's why I preach, to help people come to terms with what is about life, not what is just helpful about life. Um, so there you go, final words.